Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. We are live. Thank you, thank you, Tara, for joining me live. This is very impromptu, folks. I literally messaged Tara two hours ago and said, hey, how do you feel about taking tea time live today? I am not prepared, but I'm taking the leap of faith if you will join me. And she said yes, which is why we're here. And you could all thank Simon Chow for this because he, he challenged me and I did not back down from a challenge. And so here we are. We are live. I'm so grateful for Tarek. And I think this is a really important conversation to have live. And I'm really looking forward to y'all chiming in. So please, please, please ask us questions. I am paying attention to the chat window. We want to hear from you. And we want you to, uh, it's, it's a live conversation about a very live topic. So we're going to get into it. Before we get there, a little bit about Tara. Tara was on Tea Time with me many moons ago. At least it feels many years ago, it's 2020, when she was head of marketing at GetAccept on the U.S. side. Since she has joined Pavilion and CMO Alliance, had a baby, and is now at uh, Revenue Grid as the VP of Demand. So she is making moves, folks. And we're going to hear her story from her lips in a moment. But I want to sort of preface the conversation with the fact that Tara wrote a post a few weeks ago about uh she she was living on the edge folks and and that you either 100% agree with her and you go cheer and go Tara go or you're asking if she's a crazy person and to please stop saying this nonsense and uh asking her to quiet down well I'm with Tara which is why she's joining me because I believe that we all should be aligned to a to a revenue number um but I have a lot of questions around how to get there because it is not an off on, oh, all of a sudden marketing is, has to own a revenue number and here we go. And Tara's going to unpack that for us. But before we get there, Tara, so grateful. Thank you for taking the sleep with me. Of course. Thanks for having me. What an intro here. <laughs> uh, I love it. Well, I don't know if I got any of it right. So you tell us your story, Tara. Where are you now? You're at mm -hmm. Revenue Grid, but how did you how did you get there? What's your story? Remind us. Yeah, so depends on how far back you want me to go. Um, but I, in um, my whole career, I've been in marketing. I have been explaining that I am an, an intentional marketer. So I actually have two degrees in marketing. I've only been in marketing, and it's just something I've always loved. Um, but I've had. Um, kind of like a great journey to get to uh, VP of demand gen. So earlier in my career, I was more, you know, the specialist kind of tactical hands-on, a little part of me still hands-on um, because I can't help it. But I'm so numbers driven now just because I've had many different roles and it's just like the way my brain works. And I just really think a lot of marketers either early in their career or they work at organizations or they're not set up for a success that someone hasn't mentored or coached them or they haven't had the chance to really understand the impact. And I think one of the best ways you can do that it doesn't to me, it doesn't matter what role you're in marketing. Um, you do help drive pipeline and revenue. 
So it's one of the reasons I love demand gen. It's sometimes very difficult to measure. Sometimes it's easier, but um, I like to move fast. I like challenges. Of course, Carrie's the one that reminded me the last time we spoke that um, I just had a baby and I was like, right, yeah, he's two. Um, and <laughs> I think marketing in general is just a lot of learning, a lot of lessons and a lot of trying, um, figuring what works and what doesn't work. Um, but being able to articulate that and measure that is kind of key. So it's my little story. <laughs> We're going to unpack that in a second. Cause like I said, I have a ton of questions around, you know, when you're talking about demand gen, but then also owning a revenue number, those feel a little, there seems to be some friction there that we're going to we're going to unpack. So hang on, folks, before we get there and trying to still follow my tea time for tech marketing leaders podcast format. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, you know, my next question, which is uh, and I know I asked this in 2020, Tara, but times change. So tell us what's one challenge you're currently facing. So I would say I'm not alone in this challenge, but I think one of the biggest not only generating pipeline but generating the right type of pipeline that follows all the way through to closed one is a challenge today. I think it'll always be a challenge. And it's a very forward looking view because a lot of marketers start stop at MQL or they stop at pipeline and they say, oh, I did my job and then they walk away. But really what matters is what happens after that, right? And we're really not the ones in control there. But that's how you get more budget. That's how you get more resources when you can actually show that the pipeline kind of moves through the funnel and makes an impact on the business bottom line. So that's my current challenge. And uh, yeah, it's not easy in today's market. It's not. I have. Yes, I can't. I keep mentioning how many questions I have. But before I know, I know you're all on the edge of your seat. I promise we're going to get there. I just want to make sure that I'm giving Tara's story the, the right acknowledgement because she said something really important there that I truly believe too. And it's this word intentional. You call yourself an intentional marketer. Can you just define that? Because I think it's going to really set the stage for this conversation. What does intentional marketer mean to you? Intentional marketer means to me that a lot of marketers today that I meet haven't don't have a background to like theory or schooling or experience and they kind of stumbled into marketing which is fine right but it's like whatever path you took to get to your role there's there's no right or wrong way to get anywhere I honestly think it's more about the journey but for me since I've had like specialist roles I have a degree in global marketing I always start with like theory and the way humans interact and the way that they work together. And I think that's one of the main reasons that I'm, somebody had given me this compliment before, one of the best relationship marketers, meaning like internally and externally, because I really generally want to know someone else's challenges and the way that they think and the way that they work best and where they see success. And for me, that's the best way you can bridge a gap between what you believe your marketing team can achieve and what others internally believe that you can too. And stopping that whole like, okay, well, that's what marketing does and this is what sales does. So it's like you have to really 
bridge a really big gap. And most of that has to just do with your relationship with counterparts um, in the organization. And to me, it doesn't matter what level. Yeah, it can be like the CEO and then, you know, the director of sales, but it can be a BDR that is super honest and open or an AE or the product manager. It doesn't really matter who it is, but I think just showing that you're open and honest and being intentional um, with what you're trying to do as an organization. Comes back to your why, which I feel like you have a very clear why. You laid it out. The reason why marketers need to be attached to a revenue number is because it makes your life so much e It's harder. It sounds harder on the onset. We're not trying to say that what we're saying isn't, is, is easy, but if you can get there to where marketing actually contributes to the bottom line and revenue, then it makes things easier in terms of asking for resources and budget. Cause you've proven that it drives to the bottom line. Did I catch? Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's why there's a rise in CMOs becoming CROs. And, you know, there's more CMOs that are at every executive meeting than there's ever been before. So there's a there's like a shift in a, a lot of organizations, the narrative around what marketing actually does. You know, it, it's somehow grown into like we drive leads and like that's it. And it's like, whoa, there's so many other facets to this. Right. And, you know, it's hard sometimes when you talk about brand, right? Brand awareness is super um, hard to measure sometimes, but it depends on the organization that you're in and the industry. But that also can drive demand, which drives pipeline and connecting all those dots. And a lot of it's just like telling your own story, taking big bets and saying, this is really what I believe works for our market and our industry because I know the market as the marketing leader. And I know this is how people buy. And this is the path that I think for we should take. Let's sit in that for a second and start with brand because I do think that's a big question of, and I think people are starting to break their budgets down too in terms of money going towards brand that's not really measurable and then money going towards bottom funnel that is more that lead gen. And mm -hmm. so you're saying you can connect the dots. Has technology shifted in that we are we do now have the ability to see end to end even if it is from a very first touch um vi like visual of a of a banner right people don't even click through they just like sort of see a banner can we actually see all the way through now is that what you're saying yeah so that's <laughs> not exactly what i'm saying but actually technology is getting a lot closer honestly some of the tools at least our team's been evaluating for marketing attribution that's a whole other <laughs> live and it's in itself uh we won't go down that road too too much but unless you want to Touch on, touch on there are some tech tools that are getting much closer to saying like, hey, this is your your segment and your audience. And they actually saw your ads and they don't, you know, they don't click on the ads, but hey, they're now on your website. So those tools are starting to emerge and exist. Um, but what for me, I think if you're a marketing leader and you really believe that brand does drive a lot of demand and it's just gray and you haven't really figured out. It's like taking a stand to say like, this is how I'm going to measure brand awareness. And it's going to be branded traffic, organic branded traffic. It's direct traffic. It's, um, you know, it, it's our social following. It's, you know, and like really identifying those and seeing the trend, hopefully go in the right direction that you need to grow your brand awareness. 
in crafting that strategy around it and saying like, hey, look at this. This is the growth of 20%, 25%. It's all going in the right direction. You can't say this is not brand awareness. It's, all, it's like controlling your own story, I think, internally to people, um, whoever that might be, and really being, I don't know, very <laughs> adamant about it. Because a lot of people just yeah. are going to make up their own assumptions, right? If you mm -hmm. don't have a marketing leader, tell them your vision and the, what you're trying to build. I think that's important. It's not, you know, from a from a CEO to a CMO standpoint, like the CEO doesn't know what they don't know. So yeah. what I feel like you're saying is as the CMO and the expert in the room, you really need to take the bull by the horns and define what those metrics are. And it's not, brand isn't going to be measurable end to end, but it's going to be a bridge where, you know, we talk about this all the time from a digital ads perspective, um, when you're doing some site direct buys, right? You're not gonna see site direct buys impact the bottom line but what you will see guaranteed is your brand keyword lift right, right. you're going to see that brand awareness totally lift from a keyword standpoint and that is measurable and then the keyword the branded keyword terms are incredibly powerful from mm -hmm. a bottom line standpoint so it's yeah. a it's a bridge yeah great example yeah and it does tie back to revenue when you're looking at the funnel mm -hmm. right yeah. Yeah, I think so. For me, you know, there was a time where I was trying to measure um, marketing influence, which is a slippery slope. I would not do that today. I would not suggest to do that today. But I would say that within your own marketing team, that could be a way to look at like you're talking about that connection between certain mm -hmm. things, whether it's like a campaign, or it's results of, you know, an event or something, it can influence some other things that you are tracking, right? Yep. That's the way that you can do it, at least in an internal marketing, like analysis and insights of like, yes, absolutely. This ABM campaign influenced this, but it wasn't the only thing. But if you understand the buying journey, you know that it's not one thing anymore in marketing, just because you run this big campaign, all of a sudden they aren't just like, oh my gosh, now I'm going to buy your product or your service. It's just not no, how it works. Yeah. How many touch points in your experience it, it does it take for somebody to actually become a lead? Like you're not even down to actually buying, but like there's several touch points that need to happen. Yeah. It's many. Um, yeah. <laughs> many, exactly. So really the number that comes to mind for me right now is like 18. Yeah. Um, a lot of my experiences in B2B tech, just to be clear around that. So, and that, that might even be... Um, even less, um, honestly, um, just yeah. given the last two years and everything that's been going on. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems to be, and I think this is where ABM comes in that you alluded to, it's not just one buyer anymore, mm. one decision maker, it's multiple. So you need 18 touch points from each individual, which from an account level adds, adds up. Um, are you seeing are you seeing that on your end in terms of sort of buying committees and not just one buyer, but maybe sort of convince a team? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's becoming more and more just the norm at, at this stage and just where we are, at least in the U.S. for the economy. And 
it can depend. It might be like the person who was the decision maker and the signer isn't really at the end of the day, they have to go get this like next level approval that in the past they didn't have to do that. They kind of have to sell it internally and articulate their value. And that can even be like the CFO who really doesn't at the end of the day, know exactly what you're talking about. If you're trying to explain, Oh, we're going to spend this much money on a MarTech tool and this is what it does. But it's like, there's so many more layers of, um, I don't know, investment like protection now. And yeah, that's yeah. why like building relationships is super important um, internally. So they can understand like what you're trying to do with the money that you're using at smart and um, depends on the product, but I think there's just more people involved in general. Cause when you think about buying, you're kind of putting your own, <laughs> your own name on the line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're sort of vouching for the thing that you're recommending that, we put into the company and buy. Yeah, that's, yeah. that does feel, and then the buyers are more sort of settled and you're like, Oh no, what did I do? Yeah. And depending on what you're buying, you, you're not going to stand it up on by yourself. You know, usually the like signer or buyer is not like the project implementation manager. So you actually need other people involved in that to kind of check, do the checks and balances, look at the challenges and kind of get their own buy-in at the same time. That's true. You mentioned that the market has shifted. We were talking about the buying committee being part of that. Where else have you seen the market shift that's now impacting this need for marketing owning a revenue number? Yeah, great question. I think, honestly, it's a little bit of a <laughs> patience um, that... <laughs> not be it's not really there in certain organizations and it's really all stemming from a financial model of like runway of businesses of how long they have I always mm -hmm. say like okay like that makes sense like I understand the number I understand the math and my question is how long do I have <laughs> right like building pipeline doesn't happen overnight is this like Six months, nine months, because if you think about it from an investment standpoint, you don't have endless investment money, right? It's like you're investing in, you know, marketing, maybe dollars or tech or people. So mm -hmm. if you say you have a limited budget or, you know, you're a lot of it's already allocated or budgets are going down. That's the other thing that's happening. It's like, hey, you still have this number, but we're going to take 20 percent like back from you. So understanding the length of time to in your sales process and when you have the pipeline and all of that in order to like make sure you're doing things at the right time. Because the reason I ask that is like, how fast do I have to like mobilize a team, even if it's your existing team? Yeah. What do you mean by mobilize? Like, like rally the troops, rally mm -hmm. the team, like yeah. time. Yeah, like unless you're crushing it and you think all of the programs and all of the campaigns and everything that you do today will get you to where you need to be in six months, nine months, and a year, I would argue most marketing teams are not in that boat to iterate, figure out different things that they're doing, what's working, what's not working. You know, are you, are you cutting your losses? Are you saying, okay, this, this is something that we did last year for this goal and this reason and we didn't hit it? Should we continue doing this or should we just stop it? 
or do we iterate? Do we change it? Did we look at the data and said like it wasn't a complete failure, but we go back and change X, Y, and Z. And so I think that's why like the timing of understanding that. And I think that's like shifted really fast because of the market and because companies just aren't seeing the results at the end of the day that they wanted. And they've had to make some really tough decisions, whether it's people or budgets, um, but they're still businesses at the end of the day. Like they, they keep going. Right. They need to have a strategic plan on how they're going to get there. Yeah. When you're saying things have shifted really fast, do you mean the market has shifted really fast to people to C-suites needing things faster? Or do you just mean people needing things faster? Like there does seem to be the shift of, well, we haven't done any marketing to this day or we've done a bit, but we haven't really been strategic about it. And now we need everything to happen like yesterday. Is that, are you feeling that too? Is that what you've seen in the market or is this a, is this new or is this because of the market? Right. No, good question. I mean, the pressure is always there for marketing, right? To deliver. But I think because of, you know, sales cycles getting longer, budgets getting like tighter, there's more emphasis on marketers to deliver than there's ever been. And that's kind of the shift that I see. That it's 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 not just marketing, like doing outbound sales is very difficult right now. So it's yeah. like, like, oh, okay, let's see what more we can kind of get out of marketing. Well, it feels like part of the shift is people all relate to this, right? The pitch slap, the emails, the relentlessness of sales showing up at our door and knocking digitally over and over and over again not just once but like at least four emails behind it and how sick I hate to say it but like I feel like we're all sort of sick of it so it's sort of left sales high and dry of like if people won't respond to me because they're tired of this approach Mm -hmm. then it does feel like marketing's got to come and show up in a real intentional way to support the sales team now because it's more about, correct me if I'm wrong, or if you disagree or whatever, but it's more about surrounding our audience now, giving them as much value as possible, showing up for them continuously and being there when they're ready to make a decision and let, and the decision's theirs that we have zero control over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's like, that's why this whole like evolution of every, a lot of companies and marketers focusing on demand where historically it was like leads and leads are just people, right? where it's like in order to create the demand for your company, you're basically trying to segment your market, figure out your ICP and constantly build a relationship with them. So the second they have a need, they think of your brand. And that's not easy. Like we just, we already talked about the touch points, right? So that's why it's like the patience sometimes are, is hard because you know, you're like doing all the right things and if the buyers just aren't willing to buy right now or spend their time investigating something, it's, it's a really hard mm. spot to be in. And I think there's just pressure from every angle of the, of the most businesses these days. So. Do you find that demand gen takes more resources than lead gen? Like from obviously lead gen isn't really working right now. So we all have to shift the way we're doing things. So it's more of a then versus now versus than a um, lead versus demand. It's, but it feels like it 
it takes more time, it takes more resources, it takes more money. Is that is that fair to say, or is in the long run it it actually works better revenue wise, money wise? I think it works better in the long run. It's hands down harder <laughs> and more labor intensive for sure because it's also like what's your story right like if you're in an industry where there's tons of competitors it's like gone are the days where you're like selling features it's like okay you know like people already recognize that they might have a problem but they don't know your pool exists for example so by like giving them marketing content and all that just about a feature base like they need to know like what's in it for them and what you stand for as a brand and a lot of that goes more towards demand gen so it's a lot more like creative by nature where a traditional lead model is more just like let's capture as many people as possible we believe are in our icp and then we'll think about it later where this is more like are they aware of us that's a whole step. Are they engaged with us? Now we need to nurture them. Now we need to articulate, you know, there's just like a many step process um, in yeah. demand gen versus like capturing a lead saying like, oh yeah, they're totally fit our ICP when they're like, when they're ready to buy. Download this thing now. Yeah. And let me just hit them a couple of times with the same message about downloading this thing now. Yeah. And they want to download One of those days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gone yeah. are those days. I, it is a big creative and content lift. Mm. So what kind of content have you seen to work? Because we have said like, you can't just show up and ask for a download. So are we, before we get to the ungated conversation, which is where we are headed naturally, mm. what kind of content are you seeing to be value driven that people are really like, get it like wanting and engaging with yeah so our persona are i think it depends on the persona right but is more sales leadership rev ops and these are all data driven people right they have a number and really just insights and analytics of like showing them there's a better way like if you go to any single one of them and say like hey i can increase your win rate by x they're gonna turn their head like obviously, you know, so it's like, <laughs> it's like, how big is that number? No. Uh, but so something centered around that, and really like building that relationship to like catch their eye. So there's like so many different formats you can you can do that with, right. Um, but I'm a big fan of like micro type of content, because you don't catch any like VP of sales or zero, like really leafing through this like big report, they might every now and again, you know, um, but they don't, they don't do this like on a weekly basis. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So what's micro content mean for you? Is that. Yeah. Yeah. So micro content for me is like, you might end up actually having a big piece. Like we have like a new state of the revenue operations and intelligence report coming out, which has a ton of data. But yeah, and of, of course it's available to download, but like, that's a really large piece of content. And so it's almost like being real with your team of like, in theory, if we got like a hundred sales leader, you know, in the hundreds to look at this, that's amazing. But I don't think that's that realistic. So it's trying to like put it out there where they spend their time, you know, in social and communities and 
through relationships and having people to people send it to them, but really taking like bite size um, information, whether it's like an infographic or a quick video or a post or like a hot take or even like more storytelling, I think that that's what everybody wants to hear. It's like, oh, okay, like these are my challenges, but I'm not alone. And look at what happened to my friend over here and they did X, Y, and Z and they achieved that. And so however you can like format that, because people buy from their friends and referrals or mm -hmm. that trust. And so if you put it in the story in the lens from that perspective, then it then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I should talk to them. You gotta make it easy to retell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is this um, you? It it seems very visual in the way that you're saying this. So you mentioned video, mm -hmm. infographics. I, I haven't heard that word in so long, but I'm glad it's still alive because it's awesome. Um, and then is this like social mm -hmm. that's shared? That's basically you said to be where they are. So. Yeah, I'm guessing there's some paid maybe with that, but it really feels social in the way that you're describing it. Yeah, I would say organic um, social and paid social, of course. And I also think there is some like community aspect of that. If you know, there's communities that where your ICP and your person like where they spend their time, whether that's online or it's even in person, you know, things like that. It's just always keeping in mind that people's attention spans are so short like so short i always say like no one reads emails they skim or scan skim or scan make it shorter make it digestible you know so. 12 points yeah. right it, it's just like you're not going to be able to like have the brain capacity in today's world and how busy people are for them to really get a lot out of something that's in a super long form content mm -hmm. Yeah, unless it's a story. I do find myself stopping on LinkedIn when somebody starts telling me a story about an experience they're having. And so yeah. I do think, does your, it, it, get accepted, I know get accepted it in terms of the company you're at today. Are they leaning into this too, where you're, you're engaging your sort of C-suite to help tell that story? Because when we're talking people to people, personal branding, is that coming in? to play here in terms of retelling those stories? It's coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're, yes, it's, yeah. it's in the works. Um, so yeah, for sure. Especially uh, in our space. It's, it, at every company, it's typically a matter of bandwidth and getting a process in place to just kind of get that out there. So yeah, it's a lift. It's a, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a heavy lift because you can't just show up and say, hey. Yeah. I need you to post more on LinkedIn. Yeah. To somebody who's like super busy and yeah, I was talking about this the other day and it's how I try to like be just open and honest. Like everybody has imposter syndrome. It doesn't matter what level you're at, but like if you're in a leadership position, you have so much value to add and like figuring out what that focus is and like telling it, like people want to listen. And I think that's like the hardest part when people are like, Oh, you, you want me to put, you know, like you want me to speak? And it's like, yes. Like if you do it in a casual way, you're like an amazing speaker on behalf of this brand and this company. So it's, it's really getting some people to step outside their comfort zone. I mean, including me when I started, absolutely. Takes practice for sure. Yeah. Uh, I even still have it. Like even today, it's like, oh, we're quite alive. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
the storytelling though piece I find is really tricky when for me personally in order for me to retell stories I have to hear them firsthand I have because mm-hmm. I have questions and I want to understand it and I want to unpack it and tell me more and yeah. then I feel like I can retell it as if it was not necessarily my own but as if I really understood what the problem was how our team mm-hmm. went about solving it what the what the nuanced challenges they came in contact with and how they overcame those. I find when you give sales just a script of a story mm-hmm. that gets a little lost. How do you, when you're talking about storytelling and retelling the stories and being in events and being in communities and having like even a, a C-suite retell the stories, how are you making it feel grounded and authentic and part of the journey Yeah, that's a great question. I always go back to knowing your audience and constantly asking yourself, why would they care? Why would they care? And knowing who's in your audience is super important because I had a speaking session once and it was on like customer experience. And I'm like, am I, you know, am I the right person to speak at this? Maybe, maybe not. You know, like usually you would think a CS leader. And so I remember building the presentation, just constantly going back to what, like, if you're in CS or that type of role, what you would care about, right? And they care about retaining customers and happy customers. And so I always try to build the story and like poke holes in it throughout like kind of the iteration process of that and being real with like, yeah, no, that persona doesn't care about that. Like, in the shorter, more compelling and kind of like bold you can be and say something different that maybe someone hasn't heard before. And a lot of that's just like wording and, you know, like massaging of all that type of stuff. But you can kind of turn a lot of customer stories or data into something compelling if there's like a hook in the beginning and something exciting and then the results. But constantly going back to like, will I keep their attention? or not to keep listening to me. (laughs) It's got to, it's got to, it's not about you. And it's always interesting too, because when you talk about your story, right, when you're telling a story, it's not, I think what you're saying, I just want to make sure people are really clear on it. Even though you're telling a story, it's not about your brand story of how we got started. And this is, you know, our story of why us. And it's to your point and everything you're saying, just, driving it home and being crystal clear like, is about who you're speaking to and what matters to them and how you're going to reframe your story as it relates to who's on the receiving end of that and making them feel part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Good way to. It's hard to do. It's super hard to do. And there's also like storytelling by committee not everybody thinks like like the way you just explained it. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of people say, oh, your brand story is like, what, like a traditional, like this is where we came from and this is who we are. And, you know, like that's part of it, right? But you can't continue with that and assume people are going to care. An example, to be honest, that we're facing, not facing, but we're about to do is we're going through a whole rebranding. And like no one cares when a brand changes their brand identity. Let's all be real. It's so much work and it's needed at, you know, whatever stage and it happens a lot. 
but it's really tying it to like, what's the bigger story? You know, mm -hmm. if you just change like a lot of the brand identity and your voice and your tone, like to be honest, a lot of people aren't even going to notice. Go, oh, wow, new logo or this color scheme or, you know, like they change this. It's like, okay. But if you can tie that to something bigger and bolder and whatever that could be, sometimes it could be like a big product release or an announcement or a brand like campaign that you make your persona as a hero or, you know, take a stand for something, then it's noticeable. Yeah. I also think it's a sort of growing up with your customer, right? When you start off as a startup and you have this very specific product to solve a specific problem and then you get in, you know, you bring your customer into that and then you sort of, it's I don't know if this is a good analogy or not. When we're live, we're going to roll with it. But it feels like when Harry Potter first started and that first book came out, right? And you grow up with the characters and the stories got more and more complex, right? Mm -hmm. That's every rebrand that happens is because you have to grow up with your audience and you have to connect with where they are today as it fits to the market and how your product has evolved with them, right? I think Get Accept is a beautiful example of this of how they started off as yeah. just a DocuSign competitor. And mm -hmm. now they are an entire sales suite, right? But they didn't start that way. They grew up yeah. with their customer and really listened to what their customer needed and then evolved the product. Mm -hmm. um, like, yes, I rebrands are necessary and your customer's needs where they are today because it's not where they were five, 10 years ago. Yeah. And where they want to go. That's the other thing. And now I can admit that I've never read any Harry, Harry Potter books <laughs> or seen anything. So I was like, I don't know where, how deep she's going to go. Well, you have kids. That's going to change at some point. It's Which is great because then you get to go on the journey with them and it's glorious. I just, I just revisited and like redid that with my kids. And it was really fun to like go back and go back yeah. in time. And yeah, um, but yeah, I've never seen any people. <laughs> Lord. I'm like, I don't know. I just never, never got into it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, hopefully somebody <laughs> understands my analogy. It's all yeah. good. It's um, not, it's not, I was following totally. <laughs> I have to draw back to re I have to draw. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I want to, I want to touch on attribution before I close out here, because you mentioned it and we're coming back. I want to come back to the importance of the whole conversation we've been having around marketing owning revenue to some degree are you saying marketing should own like should be is it a percentage is it all of it is it roi in relation to revenue i mean it obviously depends on your organization and your go-to-market strategy but i mean you need to do the math and see what percent of closed one you know new revenue if it's net new logo if it's expansion there's a whole customer marketing leg too um, if that's part of your business of like came from marketing and then there you go, because like when you go and do projections and, and numbers, you need to figure out like, okay, last year, 50% came from marketing. Are we going to say that's the same next year? Are we going to put the pressure on and tell them 75, right? And then the marketer yep. goes, okay, you want me increased by that, but I need more money or, you know, it helps really understand where that is coming from. Um, so whether you don't own like the full, like at the end of the day, which I understand, I think 
the idea is at the very least pipeline and understanding the pipeline that is really coming in from marketing um, should be the goal. And then there's different variations of that. A lot of marketing teams are like, yep, we have pipeline um, by dollar amount. And we also are measured on deals, like number of deals plus the dollar amount. There's also like, we've been talking about internally also having measurement around number of meetings. And it's more because it'll bridge even more of an alignment of our inbound and really, really working very close with um, our SDR team in trying to figure out like the quality, the ones that get DQ'd and really increasing that conversion rate. Um, so number of meetings too is something um, that I think is also important, but understanding how those all fit together. And then at the end of the day, impacting the bottom line of the revenue. I, I think what you're saying is about taking a step-by-step -step approach, right? Not just immediately jumping to oh. owning revenue, but yes. right. But saying, okay, we own pipeline. We've gotten to good, some, some good pipeline numbers yep. in order to make pipeline even better. Let's look at the next metric, which is setting meetings. Mm -hmm. And then of those meetings of people showing up and what's the drop off and how can we tighten that up? And then slowly working yourself down through the sales mm -hmm system to that ultimately revenue number and and then sort of tightening it up that those conversion rates up over and over and over again um through tweaks because you have to have enough data for it to be statistically significant enough for you to even be making decisions right if you get a whale yes you land one deal that's huge you can't just go say okay everybody it came from linkedin that's all we're gonna do now <laughs> yeah yeah and that happens that's happened every company I've ever worked at and it's like, woo, and we're celebrating. And you know, it's like the saddest thing as a marketer, you take those big whales out of your calculations a lot. I mean, it's in there in like the final numbers, but when you start to do like ACV and all of that, it's like, Oh, but it's like, no, but you took out our biggest deal. <laughs> but when you're doing the modeling and the projection, it doesn't make sense unless you're going to completely change your strategy and say, we're now going to go after all these whales. Right. It depends on, you know, um, where you're at, but yeah, for right. sure. I think that's, that's the way to go. I think, cause in today's world, the answer is just not more pipeline, right? Like there's always improvement in conversion rates and process and it's on, it's everybody's job that sits on a forward facing revenue team. So it's marketing, it's the SDRs, it's the AEs, it's solution engineers, you know, any CS that might have a quota, to really understand where we can improve. Are you at benchmarks? Are things falling? Are your win rates going down? You know, like all of that really impacts because then at the end of the day, the last thing you want is like the blame game of, oh, we didn't close this because of X. And it's like, well, what about here? Because we said that was going to, you know, convert 50% of the time, but it's converting at 30. Like you're leaking revenue at that point, you know? It's so true. Yeah, I also wonder about um, when we're talking about attribution too in that, right? So, you know, you can always get better, but if you can't measure half of it, right? And we started talking, we talked about that in the beginning where there's a bit of a bridge here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it, it, there, there isn't a hundred percent answer here, but at the end of the day, you want to work yourself down that funnel. You want to tweak it and tighten it up. You want to make sure everyone who's a contributor is in the room. Um, 
Is there any last piece of advice you would give folks who are trying to, are, are, are being pushed really, really hard to get here and are, are working their tails off to do it, but they know, I think as marketers, we all know, like this stuff takes time and we're doing our best. Mm -hmm. And they have the CEO sort of breathing down their neck who have the board members breathing down their necks who have the <laughs> investors breathing down their necks, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you say to those marketers who, who agree, yes, we all want to get here, but also. Yeah. I would say my best piece of advice is get yourself in the meetings and um, push for alignment and consensus over process, where you are, conversion rate, question things. It's not a blame game. It's just getting everybody on the same page of like where we realistically are at. Because if you don't do that, it's going to be a big internal struggle and aligning across where you're going to focus. Like where's the marketing team's focus for demand gen? How do we think we're going to hit that? explain it, share it with them, ask for feedback. And they're like the same thing with sales or any other kind of like revenue stream that you have at, at your company. And I think if you yeah. don't have all the data or the insights or that alignment, it's a very difficult job. For folks who are just starting off and just starting to get here, what advice do you have them for getting started? What should they, they have very little data. Their sales systems are just sort of, you know, standing up. Mm. They're about to launch into the paid market. They have some organic. Um, mm -hmm. They know that this is, this is the end goal, but they, and they're, they have to move very quickly. How do you, yes to being in all the meetings, yes to hurting cats, yes to content. And also what are, what do they, yes to alignment. Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, there's, that pressure you're talking about. And so what's sort of your gentle advice to them on navigating the world and all the minefields that come with it? Um, I'm trying to think. I would say do your own level of research outside your organization if you can on like benchmarking where other similar companies are. Also get involved in, this is something we talked about at the very beginning. Um, so I'm a member of Pavilion, CMO Alliance, Revenue Circle. There's like more communities that I'm in and a ebb and flow of like my time in there, right? Time is, time is tough these days. But when I'm questioning myself or being like, is that idea crazy that I said out loud and it didn't feel like anybody else kind of like, agreed with me or just like understood or has the same level of thinking. You don't have to agree with me, but just like generally, you know, have that same experience or have heard of it before, like dive into community and ask questions. People are so helpful. And even if you're not that active, which you should of course be, there's so much knowledge in there from some serious like revenue leaders with some really good backgrounds and track records of them themselves posting things of like, Hey, I need help with this. Or have you guys seen this? And even if you just spend some time in there and like gathering as much knowledge as, as possible, it'll give you ideas and like a path forward to say like, Hey, I'm not the first person that's ever done this. Right. Let me go learn from some of these best people or just help me. So I don't feel alone. I think marketing is a very lonely job some days, no matter what level you're on. So you're not alone. 
Yes. Yes, that's what I was looking for, that human element of how hard this is. So thank you for giving our listeners a place to go to not feel alone, to debunk imposter syndrome, to get advice and ideas. Yes, so thank you, Tara. I'll have those uh, all linked in the show notes once I do a complete wrap of this uh, at a later date. But Tara, ah, yes, this is so helpful. I think we all know that we have to head here and we're just sort of trying to figure out where to start and also trying to slow people down to say, yes, and like, yes, let's work through the funnel to get there. We all know that that's what needs to happen. It's not going to happen overnight. And we got this, but we have to, um, we have to take one step at a time. And I really appreciate you taking us through that journey. Before we go, I do have my people first questions. Maybe you remember them, maybe you don't. So it'll feel fresh to you. I'm only going to ask one because we're at time. Um, if you could go now that the world is overdubbed, travel is easier in theory. Um, maybe not with three kids, but you know, was it a time? If things weren't hard and you could just go anywhere and pick up and just go, where would you go and why? Ooh, I'm a big traveler, so I love this question. And I, I like dream and pretend I'm going on all these trips all the time. <laughs> uh, but as you alluded to, I have three kids, so it's not that easy. So. I've always wanted to go to Thailand. Um, one of my brothers has been there and he spent a good amount of time there. And it just like fascinates me, like within the country, there's so much to explore and do. And it's vastly different depending on like what region and where you're at. So that's on my list. I don't know when I'll, I will get there with a nine-year-old, seven-year-old and old two-year-old, but um, hopefully one day. And then you're going to post it on Instagram and I'm going to follow you and it's going to be great. Yes, yes I believe in it. Yeah. Tara, this was so great. Thank you, listeners. If you'd like to connect with Tara, please head on over to LinkedIn if you're not already there and uh, follow up and make sure to follow. And, and she's posting a ton of content right now and it's all like this and it's so good. Dig in, soak it up and make it your own. Um, thank you. Thank you, Tara. This was wonderful. Uh, my little sound off that I normally do <laughs> to live is that this was brought to you by MKG Marketing, the digital marketing agency that scales brands through meaningful relationships, fueling their ability to push their mission forward. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing. Make music, mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketinginc.com to apply. Tara, thank you. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you.